blessing, would you go in your Bible to page number one, if you will. Now, you might find table of contents. Turn to, I don't know, it might be like page 14. Uh, Genesis chapter one is where we're going to start today. And so uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'm thankful for our missionary family here. I'm excited to hear him preach tonight. And uh, his sermon this morning, if you were in 10 o'clock, uh, he helped lay some groundwork for me this morning. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm grateful for that. And uh, we're going to do something today um, that is a bit of an ask. It's a bit of a heavy lift, if uh, you kind of follow me there. Um, we're going to discuss and discover and uncover and de- define a massive biblical theme. And uh, biblical themes are, are truths that transcend the front to the back of the Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, main point lines, if you will. If, if you're a movie buff, it'd be uh, easy to kind of see the arc of the story, uh, maybe the arc of this character or that character or this backstory. Well, this is a major theme throughout the entirety of the Bible. And so if you're a brand new believer here this morning, I want you to lean in really close because you're going to learn something um, that is going to, I think, and I don't think this is an exaggeration, uh, it'll change the way you understand the Bible if you can grasp this concept. If you're an established, mature believer here today, uh, you're going to recognize this. You, you probably already know this, but I want to highlight some areas that maybe you haven't seen before. And if you're here today and uh, you'd say, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm a mature believer or if I'm even a believer, I, I don't really go to church all that often. Well, you're in the right message too because you're going to see how much Jesus loved you and uh, when he created man, how he cared for man and how he desires to bring ba- man back into fellowship with him. And so last week we started a new sermon series entitled True Purpose. And uh, I was saying Brother Benefield, uh, not Brother Benefield, I'm sorry, we talked about Brother Benefield this morning. He was just with Brother Benefield. And uh, Brother Stensis uh, mentioned this morning, his title was God's Purpose. And uh, last week, we really leaned into that theme, uh, uh, answering the biggest questions of the human heart. Well, why are we here? Who is God? These, these big, resounding questions. And we are a people of questions. And uh, God gave us such an intellect. No other creature on the planet has the intellect you and I possess, where we sit there and wonder, why am I here? And what's the purpose of this? And what's the meaning of all this? And there's got to be more than a nine to five. There's got to be something at the end of all this. And I've got to have have a reason and there's got to be something I'm, I'm meant to fulfill. And so we all have these questions. The human experience is really rooted in a lot of these questions, but there's a bit of an issue I want to address before we get into man. We discussed last week the purpose of Christ. And we're going to jump into the purpose of man this morning, but there's a bit of a non-starter issue I need to address. And it's this, that inside of our hearts, as we wonder these questions of who is man and what is man and where am I going, most of the time we put an unhealthy healthy emphasis on ourselves when wondering these questions. We ask questions like, why am I here? We don't ask the question, why was I put here? You see how those are different? One says, well, I can discover my own destiny. Why am I here? The other one says, well, there's, there's someone outside of me or something outside of me that has a purpose for me. And here's the problem inside of the heart of man. We wonder the questions about our existence. And then here's the non-starter. We go to ourselves for those questions. We wonder, why am I here? And then we set out on a path of self-discovery. And really what we're doing is we're asking ourselves for answers to questions that we ourselves came up with. So how are we expecting ourselves to have the answers? I mean, just follow the logic on that. If I knew the answer to why am I here, I wouldn't be asking myself the question, 
Why am I here? And so often man and lost man specifically sets out with these questions that God wrote into their heart. And there are answers to these questions, but we set out with these questions and we search for ourselves. We search inside for the answer to these questions. Now, I want to say this. God wrote these questions into the human experience. God wrote the, the, the wonder about the next life into the human heart. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, there's a reason death scares you. There's a reason you wonder what comes next when you're sitting at a grandma's funeral or a buddy dies uh, from some circumstance. There's a reason you wonder in your heart, why am I here and where am I going? God wrote these questions into the heart of every man. But listen to me when I say this. He did not write the answers into the heart of every man. Inside of your heart, you will not be able to answer those questions. When you wonder what the purpose of man is, if you seek on the inside, you'll never find those answers. And honestly, if you seek on the outside, you'll never find those answers. There's just one place, there's just one person who can answer the questions uh, inside of your heart. And so he wrote the questions in your heart, but he didn't write the answers in your heart. But I want you to know, he did write the answers. There is an answer to the question of what comes after this life. There is an answer to the question of why was I formed? What was I put on this planet for? And the answers to those deep human questions that we all share are found within the book that God wrote to us and has preserved for us and has given to us and built an entire structure and institution around this book. It's called church. And church exists to show you the answers to the internal questions God wrote on your heart. And so last week, we started at the most important question. And, and again, human hearts might not wonder this first, but they need to. The first question we had to answer was, who is Jesus? And why did he come? And so last week, if you weren't here, I, I challenge you to go back and listen to the sermon or just go back and read John chapter 3. John chapter 3 possesses this conversation between Christ and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And this conversation goes back and forth about uh, uh, Nicodemus essentially says, I know you're a spiritual person and you're sent from God, but I don't really know who you are. And so can you explain who who you are. And Jesus sets out in that chapter and gives perhaps the clearest definition of who he is and why he came. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so as we last week defined who is Jesus, we now have the ability to know who to go to with the second question of who am I? What is man? Why are we on this planet? And as I mentioned, if we go to us for those answers, it's a dry well. You're not going to come up with anything because you already have the question and you don't have the answer. But if we go to, listen, I'm going to use a word on purpose here. If we go to our maker, if we go to, and I don't mean to be irreverent, but our manufacturer, if we go back to the beginning and allow the one who made us to define us, we're going to find the true purpose of mankind. Now, why is it that I can't go to myself, but I can go to God? And there's a simple reason. We all understand this in terms of, uh, you know, cars or paintings, and we'll use some illustrations in a minute. But how, why is it we can go to the maker to get a definition of who I am? Well, simply put, the one who builds something builds it for a purpose and shapes and fashions it for that purpose, and its identity comes from that. And we'll illustrate that in a second, but think about a, a painting. An artist defines what a painting is. An artist decides what subjects go into the painting and what distance they are from the, the focal point. And they pick the landscape and the colors, and they define, and as they design and create that painting and masterpiece, its identity is built in at creation. 
It's absolutely true. We think about an automobile manufacturer, right? An automobile manufacturer builds the function and identity of a vehicle at its creation. Now, a car doesn't get to decide, well, I want to be a four-wheel drive. On the inside, I, I feel like I'm a four-wheel drive. No matter how many Disney movies come out about that exact that line, uh, that's not how it works. Your little Nissan sedan can't decide to be a monster truck. Even if it feels on the inside, it gets to be whatever it wants to be. No, it doesn't. It was designed by its maker for a specific purpose. It was designed with a specific identity. The creator of the car decides what it is. So please try to grasp this idea carefully. This is the whole sermon. When something is made, it's made for a purpose. And when it is made, it's made with a purpose built in by the hands of its maker. And so that's why we don't get to define ourselves. That's why we can't go on the inside and say, well, what is my, gen- my real identity? What gender am I? And who do I feel like I want to be? It doesn't matter what the heart says. If the manufacturer, if the designer and creator of life defines you a certain way, you are defined by that. We ought not look within for those answers. We ought even not look without for those answers. We live in a world that can't figure out identity for its life. It doesn't know which way's up, which way's left, which way's right. It can't, again, define gender. It can't define future. It can't design, it can't define where we came from. Without doesn't have answers. Within doesn't have answers. But thank God, the one who made us gave us the answers. And it ought to be our pursuit today to discover and to operate within that created purpose. To not only know why God made us, but then to operate within that created purpose. Because within that purpose, and Brother uh, Stinson did a great job this morning, within the operating purpose of God, we find our greatest peace. We find our greatest fulfillment. When we know who God says we are and we start living like God says we are, man, life begins to make so much more sense. Now, years ago, I used this illustration. I prayed about it. I'm going to bring it back. Now, these are not just self-defense tools, right? I want to use these as a bit of an illustration this morning. Right here, you have a bat. This baseball bat is made to hit things. Well, similarly, this is made to hit things, okay? But they're designed differently on purpose. Why would that be? Because they're made to hit different things. This bat is made to hit a ball, and this hammer is made to hit a a nail. But let me ask you a question. Can you hit a baseball bat with a hammer? You probably could. Could you hit a nail with a wooden bat? You probably could, but here's what happens. It's frustrating and it damages the product. You can drive nails with a baseball bat for so long, and you can hit a baseball with a hammer, but it's not safe. It's not within its created or designed purpose. It doesn't possess the right faculties to accomplish the job, so it's frustrating, it's futile, and it damages. This is a perfect illustration of the way the world lives right now. Doing what it wants to do, deciding what it is for, deciding who they are and what love is and and what is truth and who do I want to be and I'm going to live my life this way and can they live a nine to five and die at 70 with a retirement? Yes, but it is futile, it is frustrating and it is not within its created purpose. And so if we will allow God to define for us what our life is supposed to be, the answers to those questions not only are safer, they're more fulfilling. You can function so much better when you're doing what you were manufactured to do. And again, this is indicative of the state of our society. Um, uh, uh, They are not operating within their design. So here's what we're going after this morning. Uh, In pursuit of the question, of answering the question rather, of who is man, we need to go back to the place where it all began. 
the original manufacturing facility, if you will. Day one, when man was fashioned by the hands of his God. And in that chapter, Genesis chapter one, we're not only going to discover when man was made and even how man was made, we're going to discover most importantly, why man was made. So if we know the true purpose of Christ, through Christ, we go back to his authority. He is the active person in creation. We learned that from John chapter number one. And as he makes man, he makes man with a specific purpose. And we're going to go all the way back to chapter one of Genesis, probably page 14, could be page one, but page 14 of your Bible. Let's look in Genesis chapter one, verse number 26, if you will. Genesis chapter one, verse number 26. And we'll pray in just a second. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, And God said, Let us, notice the presence of the Trinity there, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. That's a third time uh, man is supposed to bear the likeness and image of his creator. It says there, male and female created he them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, have you ever, you're probably smarter than me. You've probably never done this, but have you ever been using something incorrectly? for the simple reason you hadn't read the instructions. Now, if you're a man, you don't read instructions. Can I get an amen there? And uh, we'll just figure it out, right? We'll use it wrong if we have to. Uh, We're not going to read the instructions. But I was thinking about this illustration. Years ago, my wife and I, our very first car was like a 1989 Nissan Sentra. And uh, this baby was like a roller skate on wheels. And uh, we have to transport things in ministry. It's just how it is. So I'm working in Lompoc and and, uh, I'm trying to load stuff into this little like four-seater car. And uh, I I'll shove stuff in the trunk. I'll shove stuff in the back seat. But I, I saw one day inside of my trunk, there was a little door on the, in the back of the, where the seat would be. There was a little door, but I didn't know what the door was for. And uh, so I just kept doing stuff. I kept, I would go fishing on Thursdays and I'd put my fishing pole like on top of me. And then finally I realized that middle seat actually comes down and that little door opens and you can put long things inside of your tiny little, you know, roller skate car. And I wish I had known that earlier. If I had read the, the instruction manual or the own manual. I know what that tiny little, you know, I thought it was like an elf door or something. I didn't know what it was for, but it created a whole new possibility of things for me simply because the instruction manual, listen, told me how it works. And so this morning, that's what we're endeavoring to do. Why was man created and how are we supposed to operate? And God's word is going to give us those answers this morning. And we're going to allow our maker to define us. And we're going to find a bit of a contradiction of terms in our own heart. We're going to find how God designed us versus how most people live. And that's really what we're going to look at this morning. Let's pray. God, I ask that you'd do a work in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would allow the word to be preached this morning with authority. Um, Lord, I have no desire to be remembered. I have no desire to be impressive. I have no desire to be entertaining. I simply do, God, want to be used. And uh, Father, we have labored, you and I, over this message, and you've tried to get it through my head and heart onto paper. And, and uh, Lord, I don't want to be in the way of anything. I desire that your word would have free course and, and that your people would have an open heart to hear. And uh, God, that we'd not be distracted by the things that even right now we're thinking of that are, are not on the topic. They're not in the sermon. And Satan's trying to pull us off topic. And he's, he's trying to bring us to a different place of thinking. And, and, and he doesn't want us to see the answers. And he doesn't want us to see this truth. And so I pray, God, you'd guard, guard our hearts this morning. 
I pray, Father, you'd protect us from any distractions in our own soul, that while we're sitting in person, but our mind and heart are gone, I pray that now that we're here, and now that the word is open, and now that we have an opportunity to do this amazingly anointed spiritual thing of preaching and hearing, I pray we'd receive the word of God with meekness and gladness, Father, that we would align our hearts to what we find in Scripture, that we'd recognize this massive problem inside of the heart of every man here. And Father, even those who are saved, Lord, that we would recognize the desire that you have to remake us back into the image of your son that we once bore so beautifully in the garden. I pray, God, that you'd help us this morning. Give me wisdom through my notes. Give me clarity of my thought. Help my tongue to be able to speak clearly. But again, most importantly, may you get glory and may we be edified and changed into the image of your son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Right here in our brief text, and I I had so much more. I I had Genesis 2 in here and Genesis 3 in here. We're going to read a little bit more in just a second. But right here in those three verses that we just read, we find a handful of very specific things. And you might have noticed them. You might not have. If you've read this chapter before, you've you've probably skimmed over it or seen it before. But what you find right here in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and 28, you find a handful of very specific things God designed you and I as men and women to have and to be. There are a handful of beautiful things right there in the chapter or the verses we just read where God says, I want this for you. And when I'm making you at the manufacturing moment of mankind, God says, I'm making you for this and I'm making you for that. And I'm going to gift this to you and I'm going to give that to you. And all of these things God made, he made into us right from the very beginning. And I want to point them out for you, but I also want you to pay attention with a bit of a a bit of an investigative mindset, if you will. If this is what God designed for us, I want you to ask the question, we'll we'll answer it today. Is this how we're operating? Look at verse number 26 of Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Here we're gonna find our first of four attributes. Number one, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our, would you read the next word out loud? Likeness. So listen to me, uh, brothers and sisters, visitors this morning, missionary family, visiting family from San Diego. See, they left San Diego to come to Bakersfield because it's the vacation destination. You know what I'm talking about? This is where, this is where San Diego people come to vacation, right? Uh, but listen to me, God made mankind to be like him. We are supposed to bear the image of our creator. We saw that a bunch of different times in these three verses. The word likeness means this. It means that which has a similarity. It's a builder's sketch, if you will, before the thing is built. It's a graphic representation of something. When it comes to our original intent, the maker, or rather his original intent, the maker built into us, God designed you and I to be like him to bear his image, his reflection, and his likeness. Now, this doesn't so much speak to the maybe physical attributes or the visual attributes of God as much as it speaks to the emotional and intellectual aspects of our creator. His holiness, we were designed to be holy like God is holy. We were designed to be pure and perfect in every capacity. That is a likeness of God. He designed us for in the image of his perfection, in the image of his intellect and in his volition and will, his capacity to love and passion and his emotional capacity toward people. Those were all things at the creation moment. God said, I'm gonna make man like me. Those are things that we were made to reflect. Just think in your mind across the scope of creation. No other creature possesses that. 
likeness that you and I possess. We possess an internal morality, right? An integrity or a a set of character. We possess emotional capacity to love people and empathy. And we know right from wrong because we have an intellect. and, And at creation, God wanted someone to fellowship with him who was like him. The rest of creation did not receive this likeness. You think about Isaiah when Isaiah describes how Satan fell. One of the attributes of Satan's downfall was his desire to be like God. But Satan wasn't given that. But you and I were at creation, a likeness to our creator. But I want to ask you a question we'll revisit a few times this morning. If we were made to be like him, why is that so hard now? Why is it when someone cuts you off in traffic, it's hard to be like God? Now, maybe it's not for you, but for most of us, it would be. Why is it so hard to be holy, to be, to be outside of sin, to say no to the flesh? Why is it so incredibly difficult to be loving like Jesus was? Why is the human experience one of the, this constant struggle with selfishness and pride and ego and self-preservation? Why is the human experience so much not? like him. Because at the very beginning, one of the very first things we learned about our manufacturing date is that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And yet, what happened to us? We're going to chase that answer all morning. Let's keep reading in the text of verse 26. We're going to find our second attribute. When God made us, he said, I want this for you. Verse number 26 says this, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have, would you read the next word out loud? dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The number two thing we learn at the date we were made is that God fashioned us, listen, to be rulers, to be in charge, to have dominion over the entire planet. God placed us in this planet to subdue it and to rule over it. And listen, that drive for success inside of your heart is a God-given attribute. That's part of having dominion. That's a reflection of your creator. He built in ambition into our humanity, the desire to succeed, or that's part of the the manufacturer uh, putting that into our creation. He built into us, listen, here's where I want to go. He built into man freedom to subdue all things and never be subdued by anything, to to live not under the bondage of anything, as the apostle Paul says. We were meant to rule over, not be brought under bondage. We were created to be free, created to rule the earth, to overcome all of creation and not to be brought under anything. And yet, today, most every person you meet lives in bondage. They're in debt. They're in addiction. They're afraid. They're subdued, they're overcome, they're captives of fear and anxiety and intimidation. So if he made us to have dominion, then here's the question. What happened? Why could the people who were given the command of God to go into the entire planet and rule over all of it, are we a people who can't control our own appetites, our own financial spending? We can't control our own fear. We were made to be kings over all creation and now we're slaves to lust. Hold on to that thought, especially that one, dominion. God made us to be like him. God ordained us that we would rule and reign with him. And you'll recognize, some of you who know the Bible, there's a theme we're coming to. We left, we we broke, and we're going to. You'll see that in a minute. Look at verse number 27. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. It's reiterated over and over again that we are to be like him. Look at verse 28. I want you to read the next four words with me out loud. Ready? Verse 28, and God blessed them. Listen, number three, we were created 
to live under the blessings of our maker. We were, we were to be a people who inherit the goodness of God that he would pour out his spirit and pour out his blessings on. We were created in the garden so that we might inherit his presence, that we were made to enjoy him and to walk with him in the cool of the day. We were made to know him and inherit his blessings and his goodness. We were formed to be recipients of the goodness of God. So what happened? Why is it we find humanity so far from the blessings of God? Shaking their fist at him, denying his very existence, utter strangers to the blessings of the maker. How did we get there? If we were made to be like him, if we were made to rule, if we were made to be blessed, and I love verse number 28, the rest of it. Let's pick up one more thing, and there are a ton here. Man was made to obey. Man was made to work. Those are all things built into our creation. We're only going to pick up another one, and then we're going to move to application. Man was created. We were supposed to have something else. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Again, we come back to that over the fish of the sea, over the fowls of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. But I want you to lean into that beginning part. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. You see, at creation, when God designed us at our original manufacturing date, we were made to enjoy deep, emotional connections with people. God made Adam and God made Eve. And he said, you two, grow, have a family, love each other, have children, multiply, replenish the earth, be blessed. God created the home. God created marriage. He created intimacy. I'll be careful. I know we have kids here with us today, but he blessed mankind with the gift of family, the gift of stewarding children and having an intimate, close relationship with that woman or that man who nobody else can know the way you get to know them, to have friends that are deep and emotionally connected. He created us to know our spouse and love our children and hold our, ch- hold our kids and develop deep and personal connections with family. Listen to me. I don't care what society says. That's not a social construct. Since I didn't create the home, God created the home in the very, very beginning. Before he made government, he made the home. Listen, before he made church, he made the home. It is the first institution of God on this planet. One is our relationship with him, and then two is our relationship with our family. It's not a social construct that, well, little girls were taught to be feminine by society. No, there's a reason a little girl wants to play baby dolls and dress up and marriage. There's a nurturing in her heart God built into that. And moms and dads, we should, we should develop that. There's a reason boys want to climb every mountain and conquer every tree and have dominion. That's part of our created purpose. And family is part of our created purpose. Listen to me, and this is such a contradiction of reality, but we were made to master home. We were made to flourish as husbands and wives. So what happened? Marriage for most people is the hardest part of their life. In fact, there's a reason that more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. There's a reason that parenting is so stressful and why dad drinks so much and why dad takes up so much work overtime and why mom just needs some time with the ladies away from them. There's a reason but it's not how God designed it. God designed home to be fruitful and to multiply and to be loving and to be amazing and for two people to draw close to him in his image and reflect his image back to each other and have that kindness and that love. So then why is it that something that was meant to be so beautiful and flourishing is such a point of frustration for most people? I think we're ready to start answering some of these questions. So let's gather them up just real quick. We, number one, if we were made to be like him, why is it so contradictory to our nature? 
Why is the natural thing to be selfish and not loving? If God created us in his image to be like him, why is it so easy to bend to appetites and to bend to, uh, you know, something that you desire that you know is destructive? Why isn't it natural for us to say no and to do right if that was how we were created? If we were made to have freedom and dominion, then why do so many people live in bondage today? If we were made to be blessed and inherit the goodness of God, then why do so many walk the path of destruction and not the path that leads toward life eternal? If we are made to enjoy deep relational connections, then why is this area so broken in most people's lives? The answer is, and you'll find it in, in two chapters from now, and we'll go there, Genesis 3. We have forsaken our creator, and therefore we have forsaken our purpose. We have refused to allow our maker to define us, and we have run away from him. And that has put us, because of that, because we have forsaken our purpose and our creator, we have forfeited our claim to the blessings of God. Because we have forsaken our creator, we have abdicated our right to rule. Because we have forsaken our creator, we have abandoned the foundation of all relationships. Husband's no longer trying to be like Jesus and a wife's no longer trying to be like Jesus. It's no wonder it's so much fireworks. And in all of our choices, we have chosen to become nothing like him. But listen, all that we were made for in the garden broke because of sin. Because man decided, listen, you'll see it, man decided to define himself, to determine what is right and wrong for himself, to seize the ability to make decisions for himself, to decide good and evil. Man decided what he would do and what he would be. And that's found two chapters after man's created purpose in Genesis chapter three. Would you go there? We'll pick up in verse six in a moment. But at this point in verse number six, Satan has already taken on the form of a servant or serpent and has already begun to beguile Eve and Adam and begun to sow sow, uh, lies about the character of God. Oh, he just doesn't want you to know good and evil. He knows that you'll be like him. But listen to me, they were already like him. You ever catch that? Satan tells him, you know, God knows in the day you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. They were already like him. They were formed and fashioned in his image. And Satan is trying to twist the words of God and bait them into taking freedom for themselves. They already had freedom. They had dominion over everything. But notice what Satan does. Verse number six of chapter three. And when the the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. For the first time in human history, shame enters. Where once was freedom, where once was likeness, bondage comes and likeness dies. Look at verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God, their God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, read the next two words, please, out loud. Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Did you notice what happened, church family? Everything they were created for just became polluted. As man falls into disobedience and sin, it's like spiritual dominoes. The reflection of the father breaks and we find them hiding in the bushes from God himself. The intimacy with his wife is now replaced with shame, and I'm naked, and you're naked, and and all of a sudden they're embarrassed, where once there was freedom, and, and there was no shame. Now there's shame, and that marital relationship begins to grow further and further. Dominion over the animals has now switched. Did you catch that in the garden? Man was told to be over all animals. 
and then there was a snake in the tree. They were supposed to be over that. They were supposed to exercise dominion over that. And now all of a sudden, the serpent has dominion over them. The blessings of God are now going to be replaced with a banishment from the very presence of the God who made him. And understand with me, please, that man was not created for this. We already saw man was made to be blessed, to inherit the goodness of God. Man was made to have deep emotional connections with his family, with his wife. Man was made to rule and reign over all creation. Man was supposed to be a supreme and pristine reflection of the character of his God. But sin robbed all of those attributes and gifts. And just look around at the world we see. Look around at humanity's condition. Like I said, think about relationships. Instead of deep interpersonal connections with your spouse, Oh, I got to go out with the, the guys, the bowling league. I'll see you. And dad doesn't spend any time at home. Mom doesn't want to spend any time at home. And biblical intimacy is replaced with addiction and filth. It's not how God designed it. Meaningful time with family is just replaced by scrolling and sitting in an armchair until the day is done. It's replaced with endless extracurricular activities where the house is divided and some are over here and some are over there and extra work hours so I don't have to face the difficulty of kids who aren't obedient. Listen, the fall stripped, up, stripped us of everything God intended for us relationally. It's no wonder we struggle to make connections with our children. It's no wonder we can't make up to our spouse or accept an apology or offer an apology. Because what we had in the garden, what we were made to have, we lost at the fall. I want you to think about the idea of dominion. Since the fall, we were made, before the fall, we were made to subdue all things to the glory of God. Now the human heart seeks rulership for a different reason. Nations conquer nations over oil and land. The the dominion that once was part of our inheritance has become a stain on humanity. There are countless uh, people killed and uh, uh, immeasurable blood shed for dominion. Whereas in the garden, dominion was made to bring glory back to God, to subdue the earth and say, Lord, it belongs to you. Now it belongs to us. And we want to climb the corporate ladder to be in charge. And we want to climb the, 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 the work ladder over here because we want to be seen, we want to be known, and that's not what dominion was for. It's perverted its purpose. It's still there. We still desire meaningful relationships. We still desire dominion, but for all the wrong reasons because of the fall. You think about the blessings of God since the fall. God can bless a nation whose God is the Lord. But can he bless a nation who is so deeply stained by the curse of sin and has abandoned nearly all scripture? Because it all broke. The reflection and likeness of God is gone. The blessings of God are gone. The beauty and relationship that once was supposed to be ours is gone. The glory and dominion to offer back to God is gone. So what do we do? It would be unfair and untruthful to say, well, it broke and it's over. No, it broke, but it's not over. This is going back somewhere. This is the major theme I'm talking about. We're going to stitch the Old and the New Testament together in the person of Jesus. Listen, it was lost, but it was not lost forever. God made a way all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 to regain what we lost in the garden. I want you to look back into verse number 13. After God finds Adam and Eve hiding from his presence, he confronts them about what he knows has happened. Look at verse 13 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. She was made to have dominion. Not just man. The Bible says they were both to have dominion, but they didn't. Verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, 
Thou, hast cur- thou art cursed above all cattle. He's talking to the snake. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust uh, shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Here's verse 15. God makes a promise. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall, cur- bru- uh, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, there's a lot there, and I don't have time to maybe develop it in, in, in the text of Scripture, but let me explain to you what God just said. God makes a promise to the devil. He says, you're going to be the worst of all the beasts, but I want you to know that through the seed of woman, through the child of woman, there is going to come someone who's going to crush your head. You're going to bite his heel. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The word right here for, for uh, bruise his heel is actually the word for venom. There's going to be a bite. There's going to be an exchange. There's going to be a loss. There's going to be a death. But in the death of the seed of woman, your head is going to be crushed. And the dominion you stole will be brought back to me. And the, man, the, the souls of men that you, can, you brought condemnation on will be brought back to me. Listen, this is the same promise that you can trace throughout the book of Genesis. And if you write it down, Genesis 12 is all about this promise. Genesis 17 is all about this promise. Genesis 18, 22, 26, and 27. In each of those chapters, here's what God does. God picks him a man named Abraham. And he says, listen, Abraham, I want you to come and be my people. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But from that nation, listen, the entire world is going to be blessed. What does that mean? Be brought back to what I once had for them. To bring them back into fellowship with me to bring humanity back into a place where they can have dominion again and they can have meaningful relationships again and they can have the blessings of God again. And listen, yes, the blessing was lost and purpose was polluted and functions were marred, but the blessing and restoration to all mankind was promised in Genesis 3. And that happened, listen, don't lose me, through the person of Jesus. Jesus was the seed of woman come to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus was the one who came to reconcile all things back to himself. Jesus was the one who came to restore all things back to its original intent. And please understand, we won't go there this morning. It will someday be as it was. When Jesus steps in and rules this world again and remakes it back into a garden state, we will be just like him in that final state. But even right now through Jesus, he can redeem us back to himself. He can begin to reform us again. He can begin to give us blessings again. He can begin to make our family work again. He can begin to give us freedom and dominion again. All those things lost in the garden are brought back in by the person of Jesus. And I want you to see it. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll stitch this whole thing back together beautifully. As I mentioned, it's a major theme across the Bible. And you'd say, well, are there more verses that stitch this? The whole thing. Start in Genesis. Go to Revelation. You'll see this theme throughout. Genesis chapter 1 verse, uh, forgive me, Colossians chapter 1 verse number 19. It says, and it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, speaking of Jesus, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, that word reconcile, listen, means to be brought back into balance, to restore what was lost to restore what was broken. Jesus through his cross brings mankind back into that perfected, justified state. Verse 21, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. You remember that word like this? To present you, how in the world can I stand before a God and be declared holy? He knows I'm not. I haven't been. And yet through the death of his cross, I can be presented as holy and unblameable. That's not even possible in myself. 
I can't hide my sin from God. And yet because of the death of Jesus, I can be presented back in the likeness of Christ, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And here's the whole message, church family. Because of Jesus and through what Jesus did, we are right now actively being restored back to what God originally intended for us. Through the redemptive work and the recreating work of Jesus, he is making those who are his new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, he is creating through redemption a new creature. Not in the, the, the way you'd think like new, like no one's ever seen it, but new like it used to be when it was manufactured, when man was made perfect and given dominion, when man was made in his likeness, when man was given the blessings of God, when man was given the command to be fruitful and love his family and build something beautiful through the redemptive work of Jesus, old things are passed away. The old man is dead and all things are made new. A people who once again bear his image, a people who once again inherit his blessings, a people who once again understand what is needed for deep emotional connections with our children and deep intimate connections with our spouses, a people who rule and reign with him and bring all things in dominion to offer for his glory. Through Christ, I can be made new. Next week, we'll begin, I believe in Ephesians chapter two, to begin to look practically at being a new creature. And what does that mean? And how am I made new? And what was I? And what am I supposed to be now? And we'll really begin to lean into this question of who am I next week. But before we could get there this morning, we needed to start with the real question of who was I supposed to be? Who was I made to be? And here's the beauty. Even though we look at that, and man, it's hard. Even though Genesis 1 is beautiful and Genesis 2 is awesome, Genesis 3 brings the fall upon all men. And everything we were created to inherit and have and be broke. But through Jesus, we're being made new. And someday when he comes for us and he takes us home, we will be like him. We will know him as we are known. We will bear his likeness once more. But in this life, he desires for you to walk after his image. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, that's not possible. You do not possess the willpower to be like Jesus. You are where you are because you do not possess the willpower to be like Jesus. The only way you can be made into the image of Jesus is to be reborn. We saw that last week in in, uh, John chapter three. You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God except you be born again. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I plead with you, I beg with you, I implore you. When sin came, death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And man will stand before his creator guilty because he is guilty. He will stand before God, blamable, not unreprovable. But through Jesus, I can be forgiven. I can be reborn into the image of Christ. I can be remade. And I now stand before God, a holy and unblameable, unreproachable. I stand before God in the image of Christ and he sees not my sin, but he sees the death of Christ. And I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did. And by faith, I've accepted that. And if you've never accepted the payment of Jesus by faith, then today's the day to be saved to be born again. But if you're here today, and I would assume that many of you are, and you have been saved, I hope that you can understand the process that Christ is trying to bring you on. He's not trying to bring you under subjection because he just wants to be over you. He wants you to be back to where you were, what he intended for you, the freedom he intended and dominion he intended, the intimacy in your family that he intended. There's no way family works without both people trying to be like Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, I'm gonna use the Hebrew word here, I'm a jerk. And my wife, she's not here to defend herself. She's kind of a jerk. And when you put two jerks in the same place, 
things happen. But listen, the only reason marriage works is when one flawed human being and another flawed human being just wholeheartedly pursue the image of Jesus. And, and two people formed in the image of the creator, their likeness is inseparable. And their closeness is, is there. There's harmony and beauty and unity. It's the only way home works. That's why God's trying to remake you. He's not trying to take your fun from you. Oh, I want that time with the guys. Yeah, but deep inside your heart, you want a, you want a close relationship with your family. Like you may not admit that because you're, you know, you're proud and, and maybe a little bit arrogant. I, I like my freedom. No, no, no. I promise you what you would like is a deep connection with your children. That cannot happen in your own image. That cannot happen with the fall fully intact. But if you'll allow Jesus to remake you and old things pass away and be made new, go back to the way you were intended to be, and man, you're going to have freedom and dominion. That lust that you struggle with since a teenager is going to fall away. You're going to begin to operate in a different capacity by the grace of God, being reformed into the image you once bore. But because of sin, we've fallen. So we're given the opportunity today. You're lost today, be saved. If you're here and you're saved, let him remake you. Let's pray.